This is Catch-22 Minutes. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Catch-22 Minutes, where we're discussing the complex but highly relevant topic of online harms. So the online world presents huge opportunities for finding purpose, connection and community, not least for young people. Obviously, our world heavily relies on the internet in order to find work, to connect with services, to be entertained, to keep in touch with loved ones. But the online world can also present significant risks for children and young people. It's a fast moving space and the threat of online grooming and exposure to harmful content is undoubtedly growing. So to discuss this topic and more, we've got two fantastic guests um, on today. We have Vicky Young, who is Senior Helpline Manager at the Lucy Faithful Foundation, and Sarah Parker, Research and Development Officer within the Young People, Families and Communities Hub at Catch22. So welcome to both of you. So let me start off with a really general question and maybe to you, Vicky, first. Um, can you describe for us the kind of different nature of online harms that you're seeing amongst young people? As you said, Melissa, the internet is a really good place in part, but um, obviously there are also some harms there. And I think it's important to recognise that when things do go wrong online, there is help available to people. But in terms of the online harms, I think it's it's helpful to look at it in sort of slightly three different ways. So the risk from other people online. So that's things like people sending sexual content to young people, online grooming, where people are engaging in, in kind of chat. And that can lead to asking them to send sexual material or it can lead to offline sexual abuse, cyberbullying. And then there's a risk with people's own behaviour online. So we know that pornography is often how young people learn about relationships and sex. And actually, it's not a very healthy way for them to learn about that. Also, there's the concern around young people sharing uh, sexual images of themselves and also viewing sexual images of other children. So whilst it might be a peer that's sort of sent that image to them, actually looking at an image of a child is illegal. And then the risk of them sharing that content further on as well. And the effects on children, you know, it does affect their developmental ability. It can affect their mental health. And it's, like I say, not a particularly good way of educating them about sex and relationships. That's really interesting. Thanks, Vicky. Sarah, is this problem of online harms for young people growing? Sadly, it, it absolutely is. Um, the BBC reported just in September that up to 91% of 11-year-olds own a smartphone. And that's huge. And that is changing dramatically just in, in, in the last decade, you know, um, that has grown exponentially. So we've got this proliferation of platforms and devices. You know, a young person can access the internet um, through their iPad, through their gaming platforms, through their phones, through their watches even. And it's really hard to monitor all of that and to keep them safe in all of those places and spaces. But there has been, and there's some really frightening data, there's been a 374% increase in self-generated indecent images, as they're called. That's basically people sending explicit pictures of themselves between 2019 and 2021. And when I say people, I'm talking about young people, children. One in three of these reports are for girls between the age of 11 to 13, Really scarily, the largest growing group is amongst seven to ten year old girls sending images of themselves uh, naked or semi-naked. And then there has been a 70% increase in offences related to sexual communication with a child recorded 
in their 2020 to 2021 year you know so the fact that children are there on these platforms means that they're accessible to people who might want to kind of groom and abuse them and I think we're worried that some of those behaviors about sending naked or semi-naked images have become kind of normalized so young people expect that at some stage in a relationship that's what you do because it seems to be so much out there and and then obviously because they think that's what you do then they do it and then that increases and it is quite for those of us working in the industry I think it is quite frightening to to see that happening because clearly as Vicky said it's unhealthy and when you're finding out about some of these things again through pornography it gives a really skewed sense of what a genuine loving relationship looks like. Following on from that as well, you, you were talking there, Sarah, about the um, the self-generated images. And actually, there was some research that I was reading where in 2021, one in six children said that they think that their peers are passing on um, nude images, which on without the person's consent so there's the aspect of them sharing their own images but also the other side of it where they're then committing offenses and because they're passing those on and obviously the increased harm of that as well yeah i mean if you just imagine the mental health impact of that you know it just amplifies the harm and i think there is a kind of view that online harm is not as bad as as real in inverted commas harm you know if someone actually hits you or actually sexually assaults you that's much worse than than something just happening online I think that that's completely wrong I think that that digital footprint stays and it just goes cycling on and on through the future and once something has happened like that even if actually the images have been taken down because you know that there, there are now mechanisms and increasingly more so and we'd really like to make people aware of those there are mechanisms that can take these things down but there's always that fear that it might be there that fear that at 10 years hence when you're looking for a job that somehow that picture will resurface so that's a really good point Vicky about how that amplifies the, the the harm and makes that mental health kind of impact so much more serious for a, for a child. Let's think about kind of how some of this can be prevented essentially. And maybe if I can start off, Vicky, by asking you, maybe what what are some of the indicators to look out for, perhaps if you're a a parent or a carer or, you know, a teacher, someone working with young people um, that might indicate that a young person is engaging with harmful online content? Yeah, I think um, one of the things to recognise, and Sarah sort of alluded to it there, is actually the impact of online harm isn't that different to the impact of offline harm. So a lot of the indicators that people are looking for are the same as they might be looking for if their child has been sexually abused or or bullied you know, in the real world, as, as we sometimes say. It can be really hard to tell sometimes because um, particularly, you know, when children go into the teenage years, they can become difficult or moody and they can change in their behaviour. But we've got lots of information on our Parents Protect website, which talks about the sort of things to look out for. But the biggest one really is change. So if your child suddenly changes and you notice differences in their behaviour, then ask yourself why that is and have conversations with them, try to explore it a little bit more. Sometimes that change can be around their online use. 
So it might be directly after they've been online that they become more withdrawn or more upset. They might be quite secretive about who they're talking to or what it is that they're doing online. Or you might notice that they have lots of new phone numbers or texts or contacts on their social media who you're not familiar with. They haven't mentioned them before. So they're some of the things to kind of look out for. But I really just want to emphasize, you know, as parents, generally you know your children best so if you think that there is something wrong it's just important to consider that it may be something to do with this it's one of the the, the options that are out there and then go with your gut and, and and kind of explore what that might be yeah just to pick up on that really obviously we're focusing so far on the kind of sexual abuse of children that can happen online because I think that's perhaps the most well-known and the most sort of egregious <laughs> example of online harm. Other forms of harm can be children being radicalised or children being drawn into some very nasty um, ways of thinking. They might suddenly start using different languages or phrases that they wouldn't previously have used. And you think, kind of, where's that come from? I, I didn't know they were into this or I, I've never heard them use that kind of talk before. And there might be growing hostility towards certain groups, as Vicky said, all about changes in behaviour and then kind of change, changes in their mental health because children are being drawn in, they are being um, radicalised, they are coming across, you know, fairly extreme, misogynistic, racist, homophobic views. And it's so easy with the way the internet is designed through those algorithms to be sucked into that rabbit hole that can really alter the way the adolescent developing brain starts to view the world. And essentially, I suppose what we're talking about here is, is children, young people being victims of this, aren't we? You know, it's a really difficult um, one to manage. Vicky, the Lucy Faithful Foundation runs a helpline. Can you talk us through, if someone calls that helpline, how do you go about supporting them um, once it's been identified actually they are a victim of online harm? Well, just to say, so the helpline supports anybody that's affected by child sexual abuse. So we work with any adult who is concerned about their own behaviour. So that could be that they're looking at things online that is harmful for children or they're engaging in sexual conversations with children and we can support them, find them help and direct them to our online services so that they can help themselves to change that behaviour. We can support other adults that are concerned about another adult's behaviour towards a child. And then, as you said, we can support parents or carers of young people. And that could be because either they've the suspicions that that child is a victim of sexual abuse, or it could be that they're concerned about some of their online behaviours or their offline behaviours, which they think might be sort of sexually harmful. We can help at any stage as well. So it could be that a parent's just not sure how to navigate the online world safely. So we can direct them to some of the really good services that are out there in terms of, you know, um, monitoring software for the computers, just having conversations with them around their online behaviour. But then if there is something that they think is causing harm, we can, again, direct them to other services that might be useful talk through those concerns sometimes it's just nice as a parent to have someone to talk to and say look I'm worried about this should I be and when we can kind of um, sanity check that and say yeah actually that does sound really concerning or actually that sounds like kind of part of normal sexual development or whatever normal is but you know to try and, and give them some context because parenting you know there's no guidebook it's all out there and 
being online, it's changed so much from probably when most parents were young. So it's a completely new world. And so it is just about getting the confidence and the education to be able to support their child. And what kind of practical tips do you recommend broadly? I mean, I'm sure you have hundreds really, but to stay safe online for young people, maybe Vicky first and then Sarah if you want to come in. Like I said, there are some great resources. So CEOP, Child Exploitation Online Protection, they've got fantastic resources for parents, for teachers and for young people. And they they break it down into age appropriate sections as well. So you can start those conversations early, which is really important. They need to start happening when children start going online, not waiting for something to go wrong. Sarah mentioned about the digital footprint and there's some really good stuff around the NSPCC's website, helping children understand their digital footprint and, and making sure that they can, you know, be aware of it because thinking about things in 10 years time is is quite challenging for me, let alone, you know, a child. And then I think it's about remembering those good things online that there is. So there are some really good websites like Brooke and Bish, which help educate around sex and relationships. And there's one, I think it's called um, We Need to Talk, which is around kind of pornography. So getting people to learn from, a, a you know, an age appropriate age around the sort of dangers online but also finding an environment when they can learn about sex and healthy relationships and, and where it's not coming from pornography basically. Absolutely so if, if we're talking about supporting parents and carers wholeheartedly agree Vicky it, it, it's about talking early talking often being open staying calm crucially and understanding that you know if something does go wrong that there are some very nasty people out there. It's not necessarily your child's fault. It's not your fault as a parent. We need to take the blame out of it and just try to empower people and support people and help them move on. I think I'd just like to mention the report remove tool. So if there is a an image that has been shared, it, there is a tool that enables you to get that taken down from wherever it might be on the internet. So I'd really like to mention that too. I, I think I'd say to parents, you know, educate yourself, find out about these platforms. We're always behind that curve as adults. Young people are so much further ahead of us and actually so are the people who are looking to exploit them. So make sure you really know, you know, there are parental controls and that kind of thing, but make sure it's not intrusive, make sure it's respectful and appropriate because if we're really intrusive, we're just going to encourage secretive behaviour from from children and young people sorry do you want to go <laughs> well I was just going to add because you know you were talking there about um, you know if there is an image online and I think that's a really important point because if people do get into trouble online it's not too late and you know like I said our helpline is able to support people even after they might have done things online which they regret we're launching a new web shop, uh, website in um, in the new year called Shaw which is going to be aimed at young people who might have um, got into trouble online and we're going to have a live web chat as part of that. We are an adult-only service on the helpline. Having said that, if we have young people that come through to our service, particularly if they're sort of 16, 17, you know, got into trouble online, we're not going to turn them away. We're going to support them where we can. We've got the Young People Service, which is part of the Lucy Faithful Foundation, and we can direct people into that. And mental health of young people is so important. And if people have made mistakes online, we've seen the devastating impact that that can have on their mental health. And, you know, that message of it's never too late to get help and that you can make changes to feel better and improve your situation. Because, you know, we would never want young people to to harm themselves or to worry over things that they've done online when there is help out there. 
And just for, for children, I, I, know, I found something from CyberSafe Island that I really like. It's really clear and simple. And it's keep it private, keep it positive, keep it real. Because, I mean, young people in our online harms research told us how much they, they know that everyone else is just presenting a curated, sanitised version of their life and for the internet. But they still said it impacts them. They still said they feel bad about their own life when they see other people's fake lives. Um, so that thing about keeping it real, um, keeping it healthy. And we really need to help children understand what healthy is in terms of relationships. So this isn't about sexual abuse. You can also be coerced into all kinds of other abuse and exploitation. But understanding what's a healthy mutual relationship, I think, is great. And then just keep talking. Make sure that you've got somebody that you can check this stuff out with. You know, is that okay? <laughs> is that normal? So I just really like those those tips. Brilliant. You've both talked a lot about kind of education, both of young people, of parents, of people working with young people in terms of online safety. I can't really have a discussion about online harms without mentioning the online safety bill. We know it's, it's currently passing through Parliament. So this is the sort of legislation part of the education versus legislation kind of debate, I suppose. I'm assuming we'd all agree that you know, education and legislation are both important when you're tackling online harms. Let me come to you, Vicky, to ask you about the online safety bill. It's a complex bill, but just your kind of thoughts on what's good about it, in your view, what would you like to see in there? Well, I, th I think it is a brilliant opportunity to address illegal and harmful content. And the delay is frustrating because I was reading yesterday in the news that potentially 100 web-based crimes are happening every day while we're waiting for the bill to pass. So it is essential that the government get on and do it, really. In terms of my views on it, I think it's great that they are putting responsibility and penalties on platforms to you know, remove illegal content because at the moment they've got terms and conditions, but they're being ignored. They're not being enforced. So therefore they become kind of meaningless, really. I think in terms of strengthening it, they need to make sure that it includes things that users have uploaded so that the platforms take responsibility for that as well. And they don't get sidetracked with concerns about proportionality of services and that smaller platforms don't get to avoid having to comply with it and potentially they need some kind of watchdog that can make sure that it is enforced. I think the age verification is really important. I mean, we know that some young people will try to get around that if they want to access pornography, but hopefully that will reduce the number of people that are coming across things when they're doing kind of innocent searches online and being exposed to content before they're ready for it. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Um, you know, it's great. There are new codes of practice, legal frameworks for accountability, fines, penalties, as we've said, duties to report abusive content, the need for more understandable and user-friendly terms and conditions. All of that's great, but we do need more detail around this. I, I think the devil will be in the detail with this bill. And, and it is about that thing about safety by design, right from the way people sign up to a platform through to the way content is pushed towards users by algorithms. Um, because currently the, the whole purpose is to keep that user engaged so more advertising space can be sold. I don't think that balance is appropriate. And we really need to look at protecting um, the user, especially when the user is a child. Yeah, I just wanted to say as well, you know, we need to stop thinking about this divide between what's allowed in the online world and the offline world. If it's not allowed in the offline world, why are we permitting it in the online world? They should be one and the same. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that we need to understand is that, 
you know, this is part of 20th, 21st century life for a child that their social media presence is up an intrinsic part of their identity. I don't know if you've watched the Dark Materials um, films and read the books, but you know, every human being has a demon, don't they? They have that kind of uh, spirit animal that goes alongside them. And I kind of feel it's like that. You kind of try and sever a child from their social media accounts and you're actually, it's, it's like severing them from their, their demon. It is an, an absolute part of their identity. And we need to understand that and not just say children need to stay off this stuff. We need to, curate a really safe positive space for them um, where they can thrive because exactly as you say Vicky we would do that in in the physical world it just needs to be exactly the same in the online world where there are protected people around and safe spaces for children. Thank you to both Vicky and Sarah for sharing their insights and expertise. What's clear from today's discussion is that the online world presents both opportunities and risks. There is no doubt that exploitation takes place online, whether that's criminal exploitation or sexual exploitation. Perpetrators are becoming increasingly sophisticated in the methods used for grooming children and young people, who can become victims and have their lives completely changed for the worse by their abusers. Our guests talked about some of the signs that a child or young person may display when they're being groomed and emphasised the importance of encouraging them to talk, to access the help and to access the resources available. Ultimately, the combination of education, of parents, carers, professionals and young people themselves, coupled with legislation, as will hopefully soon be enforced through the Online Safety Bill, will be key to combating online harm. Mm -hmm.